I'm Ash Lauren, a DJ, writer, radio host, and RA contributor. This is the second resident advisor exchange I've had the pleasure of hosting in collaboration with my blog, Underground in Black. Mike Agent X Clark is one of the original ambassadors of the Detroit House Sound. Clark began his lifelong musical journey growing up on Detroit's west side surrounded by jazz, funk, and disco. In the decades since, he's made classic tracks, DJed, run a label, and coined the term beatdown, which pays homage to the urban house sound and the idea that Detroit dance music transcends techno. Beatdown, in its essence, is the idea that Detroit dance music is a forward-thinking mesh of sounds, including, but not limited to, jazz, Motown funk, gospel, and hip-hop. Clark has held many residencies in Detroit throughout his decade-spanning career, including his label Beatdown Sound's first residency at Club 1X and the more widely known Rehab at Agave, which became one of the longest-running house music nights in Detroit history. With a resume that includes working with labels such as Planet E, Underground Resistance, and Third Ear, Clark has been, and still is, dedicated to putting out quality tracks and sharing his love of music in Detroit and beyond. I recently sat down with Mike Clark in Detroit where we had an hour-long chat that touched on his early days in music and his opinions on the current state of the DJ scene. This is Ash Lauren coming to you guys live today uh, from Detroit, Michigan with a friend of mine, uh, Mike Clark. How are you today, Mike? I'm doing good. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, And Mike, for those who are tuning in that may not know um, a little bit about you, do you want to just give like a brief little intro about yourself? Okay. I am one of the, uh, I guess you could say one of the original generation of the electronic DJs uh, was actually in the DJ contest that spawned the electronic age speaking as, uh, as far as the drum machine era. There was a uh, DJ contest between Deep Space and Direct Drive that took place. Um, I was in Direct Drive and uh, we had uh, Wine Atkins, Eddie Folks, and Derek May representing Deep Space, and it was me, Kevin Dysart, and Ray Berry representing Direct Drive. Um, Without getting too into the situation, at the DJ contest, uh, Juan Atkins brought the 909 drum machine, plugged it up to the mixer, and at that time, no one knew what it was, because it was, uh, you know, Juan was obviously a producer with the Cybertron stuff that he was doing previous. And us, we were just getting our turntablism on, so the whole electronic drum machine era had not yet begun. But at the contest, when he pressed play on the drum uh, on the drum machine and took the needle off the record, and everyone witnessed that the drum machine was making the sounds, the tracks that it came out to do, that was when everything changed. And you know, uh, again, without getting too deep into it. That drum machine, uh, Derek 
from my understanding, so to Frankie Knuckles' people uh, when he was at the warehouse, which created the whole househead name, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I just read something about that, like how Derek May gifted Frankie Knuckles the 909. Like, yeah, I just kind of read about that recently. The very 909 drum machine was the drum machine that changed the world for everybody. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was it was, it was was interesting because that actual contest, it was something that, you know, obviously it's a story that not many people know about. Yeah. But it was also in light because we didn't really think about it. You know, it was a thing where... So who was all there? Like, can you remember anyone else who was, like, at the contest? Um, you know, the direct drive cats. Let me see. Honestly, it's hard to say because we was in high school, but um, you had the deep space guys. I, I want to say it was at the downstairs pub or maybe, you know, I can't remember where it was even at. I, I think it was at the downstairs pub. But I just remember the incident, the, the thing that happened because, um, one, with me knowing it was a uh, 909 drum machine, it was because my first takeover when I saw it, being a white machine or a bone white machine that had these little red dots running across it, it caught my interest because I'm like, what the hell is this machine doing with the turntables? It looks like a typewriter. Yeah. And that was where my head was at with it. And Juan always says, man, I brought the 808. And I'm like, nope, it was a 909 because I know what I said. You know, I remember it looked like a typewriter. 909 looks like typewriter. 808, 808 doesn't. So that's what I remember in that whole situation. So were you DJing at this point when you were at the competition, or were you just kind of learning about music? No, no, I was in the contest. I oh, was, you were in the contest. Yeah, it was me, Kevin Dysart, and Ray Berry. Back okay. then, I was tricking hard. I was spinning for Mojo, uh, Billy T, um, Lisa Lisa from uh, WJLB. Okay. Um, uh, again, you know, being part of Direct Drive, even though... Uh, me, Kevin Dysart, and Ray Berry, we would sometimes practice together, you know, doing tricks and stuff like that. Um, but I really got my uh, expertise in when I went to Chicago. I met the Hot Mix 5 guys there. I was dating this girl, Karen Mack. She was uh, my DJ partner at the time. Okay. And she had family in Chicago. We were just getting out of high school, uh, a, little, a little bit after high school, and uh, basically... Went to see her cousin. We was already trading Hot Mix 5 tapes around each other. Now, Hot Mix 5 was the WBMX radio station club jocks that were a team that were doing a lot of DJ tricks. Farley, Steve Hurley, uh, Mickey Mix and Oliver. Uh, I can keep going on, but you know those guys. And basically, I went to this party at the Armitage Hall, and that was when I met uh, Farley... uh, Kenny Jam and Jason, and I uh, can't remember his name right now, forgive me. But when I met these guys, it was very receptive because at the time it was none of this traveling stuff. So they was tripping that somebody already came from Detroit to uh, see them. So at that point, you know, they started treating me, you know, quite well, invited me to some more of these shows, swapped numbers. Eventually uh, they started coming to Detroit as I was coming there with them. So as that started happening, the whole Chicago-Detroit merger scene started happening. Okay. And that was when uh, a lot of, you know, Detroiters would, I guess, Detroiters would go over there because I was going over there a lot, and then they started coming here, spending at our spots. 
and and you know just kind of going into that whole scene as the drum machine revolution started taking place which no not red but if you've seen the documentary high tech so the high tech so documentary touches all into the whole drum machine situation when they had uh start getting the drum machine selling them to everybody you know, and, and once that took place, everybody knew Mama wanted a drum machine. And that, you know, everybody started getting into the whole thing of making music. Yeah, because they realized, you know, you, they can actually do this at home. They yeah, just, you know, it went, you went from just making beats to, you know, now you get a little piece of a sampler. Like, I had this Casio sampler. I would take it home, say my name on it, and say house music and jacking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm just going to thing, house, 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 jacket, jacket, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. And that was like the end thing, you know. So we went through that whole revolution of playing with samplers and just making drum tracks. And that was the culture that created the whole house techno movement because at that point, you know, now it's cool to have a drum track with a sample in it. Now let's put a chord in it. Okay, now let's get a musician to do some real shit. Yeah, let's get somebody singing, you know, added, yeah. all that. So I learned how to make tracks, how to make music, how to play, everything in the course of creating and being part of the whole electronic house and techno movement. It's, it's a blessing. It's definitely a blessing. I guess we'll talk, we'll touch more on the past, um, but what are you up to currently? You know, are you still DJing a lot in Detroit? Do you still have projects? I know you were doing the Life Party um, at Northern Lights. Is that still going? Yep. Uh, I actually just had one last night. And how, that's been going on for a while now, right? Eight years. Yep, eight Eight years. years. Wow. Yep, we've been doing it every last Friday of the month, and it's been, uh, it's been a good run. You know, we had, the agave, which was me, Norman Delano, that was that was a beautiful thing. That was to me, I, I would call that the the last of the good parties in Detroit because I knew, you know, as the evolution was changing, the whole big club party thing was yeah. dying out, and everybody else started getting so involved into the music scene itself. Yeah. You started having less party people and more people being a part of the party, and that yeah. created all kind of chaos. But you know, just going past that, watching everything form, my thing was trying to figure out, you know, what place that I put myself in because I was just always used to playing everywhere. You know, sometimes I had residencies, but a lot of times I had uh, special guests because, you know, I had that advantage of doing stuff that most people didn't do. But you know, just through time, as everything started to change and evolutionize, and everyone else started getting more into the mix, my survival rate more or less got on giving shows and trying to at least maintain uh, the DJ heritage that I grew up on, which is how we play versus the universal thing. So from Agave, did a couple gigs, some things worked, some things hit and miss, but then the same people I did Agave with gave me the uh, party at Northern Lights, and that's when I called it Life Party, and it was literally, you know, meaning to celebrate life, you know, skip all this other stuff you normally do. We're going to have percussions, and, you know, if you want to play, you can play percussions live. You got a special guest DJ. And this is more people interactive versus 
hey, watch me, I'm DJing. Or, okay. you know. So you wanted to bring other people and just different elements in the mix just to keep it exciting rather than, yeah, just seeing the same thing for eight years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah as, as a kid, I first got introduced to the scene as a kid. So my whole thought of a party was lifestyle. I'm 12 years old going to a party with my older brother and I'm seeing, you know, pretty lights, everybody dressing good, music sounding great. And to me, that was just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen as far as like atmosphere, everybody having a great time. And I was like, this is what I want to do for a living. I want to just be a part of this greatness. Yeah. So my goal from that point on down was that very thing, to be a part of this, to conduct it, you know, just to be, just to be in it, you know. The DJing part did well. Um, I was able to create a lot of different things in it. And, you know, the whole producer side kicked in in me. And uh, that goes back into, you know, what we're talking about now. Um, I got this one record I did in London. Uh, it's called The Heat. Um, this is some new, is this the one you sent me? Yeah. I was listening, okay. Yeah, yeah. I took uh, Willie Dynamite parts and put it in there behind the track. So it's like, uh, it's, 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 a it's a conversation between some pimps talking about how they're going to run their hoes, <laughs> you, know, you know, so the police don't come down on them so they can all, you know, eat well together. But I tried to uh, take the parts that made it more of a, uh, more of a euphoric, you know, kind of like it's an open mind. Like if you really listen to it, you can apply it to you. You can apply it to whatever. Yeah. It's just it doesn't a, actually have to be about pimps and hoes. Yeah. It's just about, <laughs> you know, you need to tighten up and this is some stuff that we need to do as a scene. This is some stuff okay. we need to do as a, you know, like it could yeah. be the house scene itself, you know, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, as people, we need to do this. So I, I, I pulled that off and, um, I did that tune a couple years ago for my boys, uh, WBZA and Lincoln. Well, really, it was for Lincoln, but Lincoln and WBZA, they, they flow together. Yeah, WBZA, his, his music is tight. Yeah. Ah, yeah, I, I love that guy. I like I, his stuff. I'm going to tell you, um, I first met him, he was coming to the parties that we were giving in England. And him and Lincoln, I met them through my manager there. Uh, they invited uh, me to their studio. Because they was loving what, the whole So were you doing song. stuff with Third Ear? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so yeah. it was the guy who set everything up. So I remember he was playing me all these tracks. He was like, yeah, man, this is stuff that we got going on. And he put me in his other room. He was like, yeah, I really like your beatdown stuff. So I made these tracks. This guy got this beatdown. What do you think? And I swear to God, he pressed play. Whole world just changed. I was like, what the hell? Dude. I immediately called a guy that within the next five minutes. Guy, you need to get here. He was asleep. I was like, nope, you need to come here and to check out this WBZ. Kid. Yeah. He came there and signed him that night. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I think they say he was kind of like the originator of like the Peckham sound, you know. Peckham? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You're like, I don't know shit about Peckham. <laughs> but yeah. I just know when he said beat down, <laughs> he, he hit the most beaten down and stuff. I was like, yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> if you're guy. saying it's some beat down, then you know. You well, know. I said when he hit it, I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't say that. Took all the tracks home, <laughs> banged everybody with him. Everybody was like, "Who, the hell who is this?" this? <laughs> I was like, "Man, you got to check my boy out, man. This is uh, Beza." And like I said, as you can tell, he came out and was a beast. You know, yeah. started doing this thing. So that was that was one of the good things that you know I was proud to be able to do was to to help. You know, I didn't even say I helped him. I just 
made a phone call, made things an inch faster. He was, you know, yeah, the moment yeah, anybody he, hear exactly. him, he's going to blow up. So I'm not taking any of that credit. I, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't going to pretend, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, the brother was talented. And I was just glad that I was able to help kick it a shoestring faster, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of releases, um, are you still doing vinyl releases or is most of your stuff like digital? Or Well, you know, for me, myself, with my label, doing a lot of MP3 digitals, I was working my way towards the vinyl because, as you know, the vinyl is the a little expensive. Yeah, the resurgence kicked in. It costs a little bit. Um, sales and production is so stupidly low, we're not going to discuss it, but <laughs> it's, just, it's just hard to maintain a production status and put out records and live <laughs> you know yeah you know even if you're making hit records i mean like what's my name? john was that john legend who who made who went platinum but his earnings was like 33,000, yeah, 30, something yeah. like that. That's yeah. the music business. And that's the yeah. pop industry. So, you know, you're supposed to be making millions off that. Yeah. So, if you make so you're it, like, what am I about to do with some house and tech? Thank now? you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get my little $80 check. Thank you. Right. I'm like, you know what? This is over with. <laughs> <laughs> so, for me, I was really working towards uh, tours because before, before producer, I've always been a DJ. And so, no matter what happens, I'm always be a DJ first. So I recommitted myself. Instead of me trying to focus towards, you know, making these tracks and making a whole bunch of stuff so I can make this money to build this and take this and do that, I wanted to just see if I can make some tracks that could help propel my, my DJ career. Okay. You know, because rebranding is always, you know. Yeah. So this is... I don't know, maybe my 10th time rebranding myself through my four decades of DJing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, you gotta, you know, I, I get it though. It's like you wanna, you gotta stay current, you know, you gotta stay innovative. And especially now, you know, there's the scene is just, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I'm with the punches and the changes because, you know, yeah. it went from something that was, you know, it was like a DJ stayed in their lane. We made our music, people appreciated us, but that was as far as it went. And now you just got, celebrities imitating us i mean yeah or just, or just everyone becoming a dj yeah you know it's, a, it's I mean? a true like, lifestyle you know <laughs> and it's it's catch 22 because you know it's what dj wouldn't be happy to know that the whole world is based on what you like but you know at the same time because of its commercialism and i and I, i'm not gonna necessarily blame it on the people i'm more or less speaking on the manufacturers of the product you know, pioneers and Sonys and people like that, um, they need their wrist slap because what they did was they literally uh, started, when the DJ revolution started, they were pushing the whole DJ equipment to not only professionals, but also amateurs alike at the same time, at the same speed. So you had all these people that was looking at the DJ world as something that was not professional, but it was something to do, it was fun, yeah. and that's cool. Like, they have the money to get the gear, so like, oh, okay, I'm a DJ now. Yeah, yeah. you know, so it was a very hard period because, you know, we sitting here trying to hold down clubs and just trying to maintain what we can just with our status and experience alone. And now and there's he, all these other people. Yeah, you know, these guys, they'll come up shit. to you, yeah. <laughs> and they want to start spinning with you, and they don't even know how to spin yet, or they just got the equipment. Yeah. So it's just like, where's the professionalism in that? Yeah. But we had to rough through it because the companies kept making it more easy. Here we got these sync buttons. Yeah. You could be a professional DJ. Here's some software. Here's a video right. game. You know, that kind of stuff. Again, they rubbed us out. They profited. 
Um, they changed the, essentially the entire culture. Yeah, I mean DJ culture for any genre of music. Yeah, yeah. so for me, the history is 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 well mixed up and screwed up and, and not where it should be. But you know, it, there's still time to fix everything, and there's still time to recorrect a lot of the wrongs. You know, and I just really hope that you know we'll be able to be a part of that and at least benefit from that because the history is so important. And while the true original historians are still alive. It would be great if everyone really did get what they deserve, you know, exactly. versus being people rubbed who out. may not. I mean, I, I mean, I even see it now. Like, it seems like no one really wants to put in the work or do the craft. Or it's like, yeah, you, you know, you get some gear, and then like the next day they're like, okay, I'm a DJ now. It's like, yeah, it's based you know, what happened to spending some years, like, you know, studying music or watching other people? They're like practicing, you know, everything now. It's like Standards they need gone. that instant satisfaction, you know. And it's, it's like with social media, you know, they get it. You know, people hype up bullshit all the time, all and I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah, but that's what they do, and it's like. Uh, <laughs> You just recognize how life rolls. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's the times. I mean, it's 2019. I mean, I think it'd be really interesting to see where we're going to be in 10 years. Like, I'm kind of scared. I, I can't even think <laughs> yeah. that far ahead. I mean, it's like the way everything's going, you know, let's just, you know, you pick a subject. Like, there's this VR, because I'm, I'm heavily into virtual reality at this point, and there's a VR game where you actually have this rookie DJ being tutored by the older DJ. Mm. And that is the video game. Showing you how to do the records yeah. and, you know, slapping hands and, you know, instant crowd going on. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> so this is what's happening now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're at that point where you got video stories. And I love it. I'm not going to lie. I love it. But again, because the roots, the history of what it is that everyone is celebrating has not really been properly recorded. To me, that leaves that door open for people to rewrite history. And to me, that's what scares me. Oh, and they, they tried to. That was like that, I think it was like Billboard. There was like a article about how David Guetta like brought house music to America. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that, that was just like... That was such a fluke, though. I mean, yeah, I, it really was. <laughs> but that just goes to show, like, I mean, that's a huge platform. Just one... Let's see, ar article like that could, you know what I mean? Imagine how many people read that and may actually believed it and went for it. They, you know they, what you I know, mean? There, there, was, there was one <laughs> point where people, especially, uh, I remember the Japanese community. Uh, it was the Japanese and certain other countries thought house music started in New York. Wow. Uh, some people thought techno started in Germany. You know, again, it's mixed roots. You know, we learn and we We got those inspirations from Kraftwerk, but the shit started here. Yeah, you know, we're the ones that <laughs> called it. We're the ones that bought the drum machines. We're the ones that called it. Who coined yeah. the terms. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, music itself is always going to be universal. So you, you can't sit here and pinpoint who created the sound. You know, yeah, you know a lot of yeah. cats in Chicago, they fight about that. Some people in Detroit fight about that. But, you know, when you look at it in its most innocent sense, like, I tell people, hell, you can drop, what was that record? Wishbone by Tantra. That came out in the 70s. Sounds just like a house tune. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like they took, uh, I don't even know what drum machine it was, but that whole song was based on that. Uh, Candido. You know, you got 
those four on the floor soon tunes that came out back then mm-hmm. that has the very ingredients. So, you know, to me, when it comes to saying who claims it, that's a non claimery situation, but who coined it? Exactly. That's that's what we actually contract down. Um and I mean to me, you know, being from Detroit and like knowing the history of this music, which honestly I learned about a lot of the history of Detroit like dance music after I moved away you know when I was living here I was like hanging out on the scene but I guess I just I didn't realize you know how big it was you know worldwide until later on in life once I moved away from Detroit but I think it really is important um you know for the stories to be told you know what I mean for the the people who started this to you know to be remembered you know to be uplifted celebrated um especially people of color you know that's just the whole motivation behind you know even this here interview now it's like just to remember our black icons in dance music you know who created this gift to the world and it, it is kind of a shame to see like people actually capitalize off this music in a major way and they weren't even really there don't even truly they, came re- and they don't even the really respect and they you got know paid for it. Exactly. You, 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 you got a lot of that stuff and, and you know unfortunately that's what we chalk up to be called evolution those who start never really gets their true credit it's those who saw it and was able to get the public to like yeah. it you know i mean cuz it's already kind of laid out you know what i mean you, it's already laid out of how to do it you know like it's Probably not as, you don't have to be as innovative now, you know. Yeah, the platform's already laid out for you. All you got to do is just repeat process, do a quick twist. (laughs) How to be a DJ. Yeah. Get Instagram. Exactly. (laughs) Get your followers popping, you know. I I would like to, you know, I think another thing that would be good, too, is, uh, you know, like how they got, uh, what was that on Netflix, Get Out? Yeah. Story of hip-hop culture. Get out with the movie. Yeah. Oh no! With the hip hop evolution on Netflix. Yeah. It, yeah. How one about this? Yeah. There's enough characters. Exactly. Well, <laughs> it's actually crazy because um, I was watching that show like the other night, and uh, they were talking about like a most deaf and Talib Kweli, and how uh, it just really resonated with me because I, you know, I was listening to them a lot, but it was saying like how when they came out their whole MO and their whole vibe was like kind of preserving the culture, you know, and that's kind of my vibe with this music. Like, you know, to me, it's bigger than like being a DJ. It's literally about preserving culture, educating people, you know, getting more people involved who actually care about music, you know what I mean? And just, yeah, like keeping the shit black, keeping it Detroit, you know, it's, it's important, you know, we, we are still here, you know, but I think it's like, you know, we got to be proactive just to make sure that we do stay here. Because if we sit back and get lazy, you know, you know how it's, it goes. Yeah, you know? it's, it you, you hit it right on the button. All the time, the culture vultures, you know, they watch it. Yeah. They wait. <laughs> all you got to do is make that one mistake and it'll be like, oh, who? Gone. Yeah. Here you go. We were here first. Exactly. You know, make sure you start painting Roman pictures and I got to keep going. But that's just, you know, and, and again, like you said, is you don't blame anyone for that because it's not a racist thing. It's not even so much racial. It's more or less preserving cultures. Exactly. Just celebrating. Because like we said, the music is for everyone. Yeah. You know, it, it is for everyone. That's one of my favorite things about dance music exactly. is that it's just the most diverse environment in terms of race, age, 
I got you a chance know. to see the world, the beauty of it. Like, you you know yourself, you've traveled. You can go somewhere where they de- they can't speak a drop of English, but the conversation is so there. Yep. Y'all talking. It's through the music. And that's and the power, the magic, the beauty of the music itself speaking. And just all the relationships made, you know, I'm sure, like, you know, you have friends around the world. Like, I have friends that live in the States. They're like, how the hell do you have friends in London? They're like, how do you know these people? I know. I'm like, music. Like, seriously, it connects you around the world. You know, we, we really are blessed, you know, through all, you know, the bullshit that goes on in the politics, you know, to be able to travel, you know, make money and just interact with, like, some of the most literally, like, amazing, cool people, you know, and, like, life lifelong friendships and connections it's blessings it's blessings you yeah. know it's, it's blessings uh, businesses uh relationships so many different things have spawned through this you know from a global perspective you know my i my, I myself you know dated women from around the world got a chance to experience traveling around the world and not just doing tourist stuff you know we talking like like a cultured man now you know (laughs) what i mean it's like you probably got stories and experiences that a lot of people will never have and i came off seven mile just trying to make sure i get off the neighborhood you know before i knew it i'm someplace else having a party in some other country you know it's just it's mind-boggling but you know again it goes to the whole roots of the power of the music and the spiritual that the spirituality that comes from it is is holds true you can go to another world another country and 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 give them the gift of music and they'll be receptive to it and they'll embrace it and they'll put it into their culture data and before you know it you've not exchanged exactly exactly so we're going to go back a little bit so we talked a little bit about this earlier um but my first introduction to uh, dance music in Detroit um, was probably like, you know, Ghetto Tech on the radio Friday night, you know, live from Legends. But like one of the first like DJs that I saw out and play and could name was you, Mike Clark. So I was talking to someone about this. I think it was maybe like Brett Dancer. And I was just like, and I heard about, learned about all these, you know, Bellevue Three and all that later. But I'm like, when I was living in Detroit, I'm like, Mike Clark was the man. That was like the only person I would ever hear about. And he was like, no, you're right. He was like, Mike Clark. He was like, he said you had a loft or something. And like, yeah. your loft was the spot. Like, everybody <laughs> would go there. He we, said he would that come was the after part. That was, that was the after part. Yeah, that was, <laughs> like, I was spinning at Motor. And uh, we would have special guests. Like, you know, it would be anywhere from Steve Hurley, uh, Tommy Musto out of New York. Uh, Green Velvet. It could just be anybody, whoever we come down. So what, would people just stay with you when they were passing through the city? Or yeah, like after the did. club, they would come over? Like, like Glenn Underground, a couple of my boys, you know, they, they would come through. Um, my apartment, my loft, it was uh, right off the water. So you had like a nice scenery, you see Canada. Okay. And it was right, you know, if you go past the, the post office, of course. But, you know, it was right in the heart. So it was a 3,500 square foot loft. So, you know, cats wanted to come in. Prices was cheaper then, too. Amazingly cheaper. Oh, I could imagine. It's Detroit cheap. You said it was like an artist building. I think when the documentary I watched you were saying there's a photographer. Yeah, pretty much. YG was right right down the hall. Whenever people wanted to come through to check out the music experience, you had 
House and techno on this side. Yeah, that is so <laughs> awesome. Like, all right, I'll be back. I'm going to go yeah, get my hip hop. You know, YG to call me up. YG to QD, they call me up. Yo, man, these house heads, they want to meet you. Or cats be like, yo, I heard. So and was that before he was doing house? Yeah, not, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, before he was doing house. It was when everybody was doing hip hop. So, yeah. they, you know, I have them come over so everybody can meet each other. But that was the beauty of it because people from all around the world would come to our buildings. Yeah, just and just to see meet the us. different sounds of Detroit. You know what I mean? That's amazing. It was, it was, it was definitely a, a, a wonderful time during that point because it was a lot of inner synergy right here. Yeah. Right here. Yeah. Matter of fact, when uh, the first festival, you know, festival number one, um, Carl Craig, I was helping him uh, part of the thing. I was in charge of uh, hiring the people at the after parties, you know, all the bars and the clubs. And I remember the very first day uh, through my window. I could hear, um, what's the Pepe product tune? Burn. Oh, Deep Burn. <laughs> they were playing it. I could hear it from a mile away through my window. Oh, wow. I opened up the window, and, it, and the whole air was filled with Deep Burn. <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm like, I'm just excited because, remind you, this is, this is uh, Festival One. So this is. Before any of these festivals was thought so of, so this fathom. was huge to hear that huge. track blasted from Heart Plaza. A mile away, <laughs> I'm hearing house music. A mile away, hearing my, you know, one of my favorite tunes being put in the air. You know, yeah. like I got to walk through the Cobo Arena tunnel to get to Heart Plaza, and as I'm walking through the tunnel through the freeway. I remember this guy, uh, he was walking past, he had a microphone. He was obviously there to interview. And he just probably just saw the look on my face as I'm just walking towards the music, like, you know, like a zombie. He's like, what is this? This guy's got something going on. Yeah, and, and I remember he was like, sir, what are, you, what are you thinking? What do you think about the very first festival and, and hearing this track and stuff like that? And I was just like, you know, like, just listen. You know, I don't know if you can understand where I'm coming from, but this here is history in the making to be able to hear what we call underground music that was so socially unacceptable for the longest. Yeah. And now I'm hearing it at Heart Plaza, it's put up in the air a mile away, and like no one stopped. It's a huge legal like, event, you know what I mean? Yeah, I almost had a tear in my eye. Yeah. Because it was that important. That special. And it was that special, you know, because it was. You never, you never imagined it because we made it happen. We did. We had to imagine what it would be like to be at Heart Plaza doing shit that we do in the basement or at the clubs. Late yeah, night. that people wouldn't just be like, oh, whatever. They yeah. just playing around. Like it was actually a real tangible thing at that point. Yeah. It was so powerful. It got taken from us <laughs> immediately. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, look, look at it now. <laughs> yeah, and it's blown up. You know, to <laughs> such a high level. You know. Yeah. So I just but you said you were on the committee too. So when yeah. did that start? Um, the you know, EMF committee. Yep, the DMF. Yep, I was part of the original. Um, uh, I think the first two years, and then uh, maybe the second year, um, there was that in, the in, 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 that situation that happened with Carl and uh, Carol Marvin and everybody else. I, you know, they wanted me to be a part of it, but I couldn't because at the time I was label mate with Carl, so I couldn't just sell him out because that would make me look like... Yeah, you know, exactly. I don't do that to my people, you know, and Carl was, you know, I thank him for so many things, you know, he brought, he saw through to make this thing happen. Uh, when he put me on his label, he got me some gigs, did some tours, so I'm thankful for him 
for giving me that opportunity because most people don't do that kind of stuff. So, you know, naturally, when that was taken from him and they were trying to boycott him, I was first one in line. Oh, hell no. Nah. You know, you can't yeah, just exactly. do that. There's a lot of people that was hating on him, and I was like, nah, you know, you, no matter what y'all think, this is what this brother did, you know. Exactly. And I'm not going to sit here and join forces with y'all just because y'all trying to take Just so I can some. still be down, you yeah, know, like uh, I'm, you're going to stick with your friend. I got to live with myself. Right. And no matter what, I don't really want people talking about me and it's true. <laughs> you know, people going to talk shit about you. Can't escape that. But there's one thing if you truly did some fucked up shit versus they just talking shit. Exactly. And for me, I'm always be true to myself. I'm always be true to my people. And I'm always do what I one think is best and what I think is best for everybody because we're in that revolutionary state where everything that we do affects the generations to come. We are the first, second generation of electronic people, so what we do affects it. So we have to be conscious of what we do because if we don't, your IC was going on. It's exactly. so far past us. If we don't say nothing, we could just die and become stone. Well, let me ask you this. Okay, so, I mean, that's interesting that you said that, like, you know, it could go any, like, the music could go anywhere. So it's important, like, the, that the originators are here and they're, like, you know, vocal and telling the stories. Um, how do you feel about, like, the older generations embracing, like, the newer generation? I guess I would consider myself someone that's a part of the new generation. And from what I see, like, sometimes I'll see other people kind of, you know, in my my realm or my age range that are doing music, they're like, oh, well, all the OGs, you know, they think that we don't really care about music or, you know, we only care about social media or, you know, our tracks aren't good or, or we don't play vinyl or this and that. Like, do you feel like there's a disconnect between the generations or is there, I mean, is that a thing? I mean, I, I definitely see it, you know, maybe not through everyone, but you know, sometimes, you know, we may feel attacked and it's like, I feel like there should be more of a mentorship or togetherness. You know, of course, we need to show the fucking respect, which is, I think, some younger people don't show that respect. Well, here's, um, here's, here's the thing, you know, just touching on that very situation. Yeah. And this is my personal opinion. The whole problem with that scene is just uh, structure. We don't have structure. If we had structure, then you wouldn't have old versus new versus this sound versus that. Yeah, sound. like sometimes it feels even competitive, which is like, oh, it shouldn't be like sense. that. It we should. should be embracing each other. Well, like oh I said, that's God. the professionalism of the ethics. You got yeah. people who they'll feel stepped on because some new person came on. Well, and it's people's livelihood. So in a sense, I understand that because you're like, if you're, you know, making your money and some young person comes in and like steals your residence. No, I don't say steal, but you know, they start doing you're residency the residency that you're you had. You're bringing new people. I and got my own you're people. like, yeah. My 10 years of service is no longer needed. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's the story of it. Yeah. You know, I, you know like I said, I, I think that, you know, the structure is messed up and that's what causes it. Like, let's just say from a, I ain't gonna say fictional. Let's say from a realistic standpoint, if we had real structure in the DJ game, you had it where if you did so many years of professional DJing, playing at clubs, earned X amount of money, when you retire, you'll always have some form of benefit where you won't be stuck on the streets. You have always have a house or something. Yeah. You know those kind of things. Going into the old versus new. I come from martial arts schools, uh, kung fu, taekwondo, different things. So 
in our schools coming up in the ranks, it was based on what you knew, your experience. Mm. You could be eight years old. If you are uh, yellow belt, red belt, blue belt, whatever belt, and this grown-up is a white belt, you're going to teach this grown-up your craft. So no matter what age this person is, you're going to respect this little boy because he's going to teach you. Exactly. So you're going to learn from this person, and you're going to do your best because this person is teaching you how to do this to your best ability. So in, in, in other words, everyone has something to offer. Everyone should be respected. And if anything... Uh, there should be a form of structure, you know, a form where if you've been doing it this long, then this is your earnings, your rankings, whatever. If you've been doing it this long, this is your earnings and your rankings. Everything else is variables. But when you have a form of structure, it eliminates a lot of stuff because everything is based on the merits of who you are, not where you came from or your age exactly. group or none of that. It's, it's just like, based on skill. Yeah, you know, yeah. you've been spending, you didn't did this, you'd have been there, so this is who you are. You got the skills and the uh, um, the earnings as well as the experience of an international. So therefore, that is who you are. You are an international DJ. This is your points. This is your ranks. So that gives you the right to be able to speak on or be a part of because this is your experience. When you got people that create this out of the blue and they go by what they know in the local scene and they create that same facade from a global level, then you kind of misusing the power of what you got because you got people thinking you're more experienced than what you are. Yeah. And they'll follow you and you they'll lead you lead them into a bad situation because now you're misleading folks. Yeah. Um and, and there's a lot of that. It's a lot. You know, because it's like <laughs> I mean, just to go back to the social media thing, like you can kind of portray whatever type of image you want. Like I've literally seen people portray images. And I'm like, I know this motherfucker in real life and they're not. <laughs> but people go for it because they got, you know, they got the pictures, you know, they may have had, you know. You remember um, Sasha Baron Cohen, right? Mm-mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. The guy who does uh, Sasha, he's that comedian. Okay. Um, he had a, a parody where he was doing, he was being a DJ. He called himself Super Greg. He was like Super Greg number one. Now, mind you, this is, he's an actor, so he does these weird things. So he was this dude acting like an Israeli DJ with Adidas outfit with fucked up teeth, couldn't scratch for <laughs> shit. But he was acting like a superstar. Yeah, yeah. If you get a chance, look up Super Greg. And it's Sasha Baron Conan. I don't think he even says it to anybody, but he's like, you know, he's a famous actor. And we used to watch that because it was so funny how. A lot of people do that, like, yo, man, I want to be a DJ. I'm going to get this equipment, and I'm going to get this stuff, and I want you to show me how to scratch, and I want to do your show next week. Yeah. Shit like that. And it's just like, okay, well, first of all, you don't even know DJ language, and it's not cutting or discouraging anyone, but, again, how the hell can you think you're going to wake up in the morning, decide to become a profession? And not then a, and a month later, you're like, you know. You, you barely learning equipment, and just learning equipment only means you know how to use the equipment. That still doesn't make you a professional. Spinning in front of people don't make you a professional. Knowing yeah. how to think, knowing how to make this crowd run, being being able to allow yourself yeah. to, be, to embrace with everybody out there. People just get the equipment and take a picture, and then that's just, you know, people are visual, so motherfuckers who don't really know about music or the scene they just see you with the equipment and they're automatically sold like oh wow like you're (laughs) doing it but I I mean yeah I definitely think I also think people 
you know, there's like a romance, like they romanticize the whole DJ life. You know, it's like, oh, like you're traveling, like you're doing yeah. this. Like they don't realize that it's actually real work or like yeah. that there's people put in years of dedication in their life. Of, I'm still trying to find a good booking agency just so I can go tour. You know, exactly. a while ago, I didn't have to worry about that stuff. But nowadays, you apparently got to have an agency. You know, I, I just joined um, this one agency. Uh, I think I'm saying it right. It's common agency okay a lot of that you know i'm doing a lot of freebies but you know these type of things that people work and get going these are the things that we look for you know and uh it's hard but that's just the nature of the beast you know and again for me with it being a situation where we're not having structure a person who's been experienced to be spending is you know a couple decades shouldn't have to look for an exactly. agency that should be Exactly. You know, all that kind of stuff should just be there. You know, if you're new to the game, you're starting to learn everything, you're running through everything. Okay, now you, you're looking for people, they're getting to know you. But, you know, if you are a professional, then there should already be stuff there for you to keep the game going professionally. Exactly. And I'm always a bitch about that. And keeping yeah. this the sound real, you know what I mean? Keeping it authentic because, yeah. I mean, I feel like, I mean, yeah, even just the sound, you know, overall has changed, you know, like, I mean, even for me, I find myself always just kind of liking, like, you know, I, I play new shit, but just a lot of the old shit, like, it's, I feel like people try to recreate that essence, you know, and it's just Well, you, you definitely caught it. I, I remember when I saw you play, uh, <laughs> man, I watch, I love watching it um, at uh, the Shari Vari party. You threw down. Oh, I was like, oh, Detroit, this is my chance. Yeah, you threw down. <laughs> I was like this, damn. <laughs> but that's the Me thing. and Delano was like, damn, check her out. But I was there, you know what I mean? And a lot of people think I'm younger, you know, like I'm 34. But obviously I started listening to House and hanging out in Detroit when I was 14. Mm -hmm. So there'll be people, you know, maybe like in their 20s and like they just get so inspired. They're like, oh, I'm ready. Like I want to DJ full time like next month. And I'm like, okay, I know, like, my career and my success, like, inspires other people. But I just try to remind motherfuckers, I'm like, I paid my dues. Even when I first got my gear, it was three years before I even got a gig or even tried. Like, I wasn't really posting pictures. Like, I wasn't trying to just be a DJ overnight. You know, I just truly love music. And I was like, I felt like there was a void. Like, okay. You want to do it right. Yeah, I'm like, there needs to be more black women. There needs to be more, more black people. There needs to be more motherfuckers from Detroit. You know, but it definitely just seems like people get so excited about the DJ thing now and they don't really want to put in the work or even study the music. I'm like, dude, I was flying to Europe just to go to festivals to hear music before I was DJing. Like, I truly like commitment. And I think that's what it's all that's, about. Yeah, that's you what are, it, you're, you're actually you'd be like the perfect model for people who wants to become a DJ. Yeah, I, I, like I'm put in work, you. go support, go see people. Like literally, I, and then the success really came too because I had already built those relationships with, you know what I mean? I'm like, Delano, he remembers me from back then. I've known him almost half my life now. So Same thing with me. Yeah, exactly. Was a kid, you know. Exactly, and it's like people are willing to give you great opportunities when they know, you know you're really about it. But unfortunately, I do agree that there are sometimes opportunities presented to some where it's like, you know, you know, put in a little work. Maybe it wasn't time for that, you know, and then there are people who are deserving or who've been doing it. And, you know, there's like, so many people out here. And that, and that's and that's going to always be the sad part because 
not everybody's going to get their just due. There's always going to be someone out here who's been in the game for a long oh, time. Oh, of course. Yeah, there's always going to be a they bad just, motherfucker know, that just they, never made it for some reason. Yeah, they just didn't meet that right person to yep. give them that opportunity. Yeah, you know, exactly. I, you know, for me, I'm blessed. I, nev I, I would never complain. You know, for one, I, I'm, in, I'm in a unique position. You know, being one of the early guys, I was there at the beginning. I've seen the beginning of the travel. I was a part of that. Yeah. I helped pave the ways, even though it didn't seem like it. But, you know, you realize when you're playing out and the people of that country, they look at you a certain way, you're not just playing just for yourself. You're representing your city. And in my case, you know, I'm representing everything from underground resistance to happy records to Detroit DJ. You know, just America as a yeah. whole. Like seriously, <laughs> yeah. like you got a lot on your back. You right. Know I mean? <laughs> so you know, my thing was I always try to keep it casual. You know, you know, make it look good, make it look fun, um, make sure they are entertained. You know, I might not be able to pull a rabbit out my hat and throw some flame at you, but <laughs> I can make that music sound so natural and good because I work at that. I work at the spirituality of the blend. Um, I'll look at some people in the audience and pick them to be my muse as I play. So that way my spirit connects with theirs and their way we are connected. And to me, that's the best way to be able to, you know, get these parties going and get these people all involved where we all are dancing, bobbing their hairs at the same time and congregating, so to speak. You know, and those are the elements. And you can't do that within a year of getting to know your equipment. Exactly. But, or, like, you can't even dig that deep into electronic music in a year. You know what I mean? It's deeper than just watching a couple documentaries. You try to learn how to blend. And going on. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> you try to learn how to beat match, you know. Exactly. You got time to crowd read yet or things that most folks don't understand. It, and then my thing is, like, I mean, on CDJs, I mean, I feel like anyone can beat match on CDJs within, like, a, a, like a you know what I mean? You if you go hard, you can do that shit in a week. Like, yeah. In between the numbers and the sync button, it's like mathematician. <laughs> it's math, baby. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I do feel like, you know, I love that so many people are interested in music and DJing now, but there's definitely like a part of me that also feels like, you know, we don't want it to get oversaturated, you know, and it, it seems like it kind of is. But, you know, I guess that's just motivation to just keep pushing the quote unquote real shit. You know what it I mean? Because really that, that's what's going to separate you or me from, you know, the next superstar DJ or whatever. It's like, all right, well, you know, they'll probably get the, you know, the most of the money or whatever. But at least we got the respect, I guess. You know, I guess that's kind of what counts in a way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, just that just being able to, you know, get that far in it. You know, I'm just hoping that. uh for the most part, the new generations that's coming out, you know, hopefully uh, they'll be able to recorrect a lot of imbalances that's going on at the beginning. I'll say the during the entrepreneurial stages of our field. All right. Well, another thing I want to touch on, Mike Clark, like you are synonymous with the whole beatdown movement. Talk about that. Like, you know, whatever you want to say about it or explain it or who was a part of it. I know the beatdown crew was you, Norm. Uh, in Delano. Um. Yeah, um, it was, well, it was, that was the name of the Beatdown Brothers. Uh, so just, you know, I guess to be clear on the whole Beatdown movement, it was not necessarily a movement that I created. I just coined a phrase 
that was representing what we were doing at the time. And uh, I wanted to take that and, and, and use it because at the time we had a few things that was going on. Uh, Detroit Sound at that was limited to the more techno vision. And the reason why I say that is because when we had the whole uh, Underground Resistance Submerge Happy Records Camp, uh, it was prevalent on what was selling. The musical side that we were creating wasn't selling at all, where the more techno-oriented situations was flying off the handle. So you had that void that needed to be filled. And that became my mission because for me, you know, I'm a logical person, I'm a Capricorn. I didn't understand why is it that Detroit, home of Motown, home of funk, place where we got the baddest musicians in the world, are not known for anything really musically being made electronically for Detroit. You know, you know, like Louis Vega, he hiring the Clark sisters, Aunt Fittler, uh, Kenny Dixon, they doing their thing, but you got a lot of people that make tracks. And not enough people really making music, you know, Piranha Head and a couple of other folks, it was throwing down, but, you know, not naming because there's no reason to name anyone. I'm just making a point. And the point is, we have some of the baddest musicians here. How come we don't have some of the baddest musical pieces coming out of Detroit, house music-wise? Yeah. You know? Because everyone is like, they just think of techno. You know, it's that whole facade, you know. I and mean, in terms of electronic music, yeah, you don't really think how you're like, oh, Detroit techno people automatically. All the time. Yeah. I, I've had people tell me, you know, can you sound more like these people over here? Because you're not, you know, sound. Oh, they like wanted you to like fit into that mold of what they thought electronic music from Detroit yeah. sounded like. I'm the yeah. person that takes on a role of, you know, this is what we sound like. This is my sound. I have this heritage that I have to give to you. So when you stop me from giving you my heritage and tell them I need to sound like these people, well, yeah. I'm not hating on you, but I'm just exactly. And there's different offended. sounds coming out of Detroit. I mean, even for me, like I was there at Agave, and like that was really cool for you to say that was one of like the last real things because I was there. But my memories of electronic music in Detroit are definitely more house oriented. You know, especially what I was hearing at Agave, that wasn't really a techno night at all it was no super that was, that was us. super like vocally and soulful like and that's <laughs> the true that's the true detroit i mean you know it's, it was, it's, yeah, yeah, it was, was it's packed it was yeah. full of people what nobody saying what's this that was true detroit as me as a kid like you came up 12 years old i was 12 years old when i got into it as a kid it was a lot of music and vocal tracks you know uh, d train martin circus all these different songs but there was music there was keyboards solos blah 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 and to me that was the one thing that you know i think that we needed um i was i made this track called believe uh it was kind of like a gospel house tune i was glad that it did well because i used uh, my old happy house piano chords which was a sound that uh me and mike banks and a couple of people created from back in the day and you know just the beginning. So, you know, 30 years later, bring it back. Yeah. Did that sound that came, and then uh, with the help of uh, my new partner's name is Eli, he's a badass keyboardist. I mean, you know, his music speaks for itself. That record special, uh, Steady Going. You know, he's uh, he was part of Platters, Dramatics. He performs at uh, Las Vegas, so he comes from that end of the musical spectrum. You know, he's a Detroit true artist, you know, old school, does all those crooning type songs and all that. 
and uh, he's one of my neighbors, and he also plays uh, at my church. At my church, so uh, I wanted to try using him for house record, even though he don't know a damn thing about house. I just figured, you know, with his talent, if I direct the track the right way, you know, we see what we come up with, and it was perfect. It was perfect. I, I did very little. I just kind of guided him. And once he got it going, I just stood back and let him do his thing. And, you know, uh, the song could, you know, maybe be mastered a little bit better and all the above. But you can't deny the techniques on the song. Exactly. You know, the music is very musically oriented. So I want to do more stuff like that. And I swear, I hope no one says you're trying to sound like you're coming out of New York and no shit like that. Cause oh, no. It is not. Exactly. <laughs> this is a raw-ass Detroit musician exactly. who don't know don't shit about house music like that. that's just doing him. So if exactly. anybody goes there, you're hearing it right now. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So we just have like a few more minutes here. I just want to say this is actually like a really great conversation. So thank you so much. I'm glad um, you had me. For hanging out. And I guess I'm trying to think of like a last question. I guess we talked about this a little bit earlier. You know, we've talked a lot today about, you know, the old Detroit and how it was. And, you know, what what is, you know, what do you think of the new Detroit? You know, that's a term I hear a lot, the new Detroit. You know, how are you... You know, how do you feel about the scene? I guess just the overall energy of the city, but also about the scene, too. Like, are you feeling it? Are you excited for what's next? Are you leery? You know, you know leery, is the, leery is the answer because, you know, living downtown for 17 years, I uh, pretty much got priced out. And then I moved midtown where I got I own an apartment building. And I kind of got priced out of there, too, <laughs> you know. So, you know, on that end, I'm not feeling it. Um, you have the new people here. Uh, Detroit, we've always been inviting. So on that end, I'm glad we got new people here. Um, but those new people, not speaking on all of them, but it's a few. And I'm pretty sure when I say this, a lot of people can relate. Um, they're not as friendly, you know. Um, a lot of them treat us almost as if we're not from here. You know, as I told you earlier in that story, I'm spending at old Oslo's. I step out to get some air because it's hot as shit down there. And while I'm sitting there, this girl comes out of her apartment with her dog as she walks her dog down this uh, Woodward, stops and looks at me and, you know, immediately looks at me like some homeless person says, excuse me, are you lost? Do you need any help? <laughs> and when I looked at her when she said that, I'm thinking to myself, is these are these the people that we have in our city now where they're going to look down at the very people who've always been here? And having the nerve to ask you if you're lost when you've been on these blocks for decades. Yeah, I didn't know if she was being real or condescending. For decades, yeah, Yeah, you know, it really felt condescending. Like, are you you really trying to help me or are you trying to be like a smart ass? Thank you, you you know. And I was like, you know, and it's not trying to go racial. It's just you have these new group of people that, they come in and they enjoying the property. They enjoying everything except the people and the and the and the festivities and energy itself. They're coming in, looking at the property, creating their own energy, creating their own thing, yeah. and it almost feels like they're snubbing us out. Yeah. 
And it's like you don't want that to take away from the essence of the real Detroit, the yeah. Detroit that we know that you grew up with. Exactly. The Detroit I know from when I lived here, you know, but it's been 12 years. So I, I, I see the type of folks you're talking about. Yeah. And then, you know, at the same time, you got some, you know, I got some friends that moved from the, from the burbs and out of town that moved here that some of them moved in my neighborhood. So, you know, it's I like that we have a new, more energetic, more diverse city. It's, it's lively. It's exciting again. Yeah, you know. You know a, it's an exciting city. I get to I mean, run downtown an and not know anything. Like, right what now. is this? What is this restaurant? You know, it's, 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 yeah, it's right? like being out of town, but you're home. Right. So, you know, on that <laughs> end, I love it. You know, new venues. Sometimes I got new gigs. Um, I'm still blessed to maintain a residency, you know, out here, you know, on a monthly level and spending. And Northern Lights has been around for a minute. I, that's actually amazing for me to yeah. see that place still stay. And it seems like cheers it's doing to Mike great. Salaka. Um, cheers to Kagger. Kagger was the one. Just so a lot of people, you know, if, you know, if, if you guys ever follow me and know about the Agave legend and all that kind of stuff, uh, this shout goes out to uh, Short Round and Kagger because. Short Round was the one who originally was supposed to do uh, Agave, but he chose to give it to me because he wanted to find another venue. And Kegger is the one who hired Short Round, so it's an inner circle. Yeah. You know, these are my brothers. I've been knowing uh, Kegger. Kegger originally started at Motor, so that's my brother from Motor. He's a manager up there. And Short Round, that's just my brother, period. If anybody knows the both of us, they know that's my brother all day long. So when they pitched the whole idea of me doing a Sunday at Agave, it was at the exact same time we had started doing the the, the Beatdown Brothers thing, me and Norman Delano. Uh, we had this club over here that I was spending, I was resident and that I had them spinning with me at. It didn't do that well. You know, it's huge. The only the biggest gig we had there uh, was I brought Colonel Abrams there with uh, Teresa Hill and Ty Johnson helped me to pull that one off. And uh, that was the biggest one there. But other than that, it was a lot of hit and misses on some stuff. So when this opportunity came, it was weird because I remember negotiating Norman Delano to play with me because normally it's just me with my own residencies. But I was really trying to push the beatdown sound as well as us as beatdown brothers. So I figured... At home, if I can set up a residency and we're, you know, we get this right here going, that would be the beginning of something big. And that was what I wanted to do. So, uh, you know, Norman Delano were my guys who did it. Um, with the sound itself, when that started blowing up, I was able to uh, put that in terms of records, you know, in my eyes, something that was slow enough to put enough rhythm in it to keep your groove, but it was basic enough to be familiar with everyone, but you can always put your heart in it. So when you hear it, even though as simple as it can be, it caught the essence of your most soulful, as funkiest moments, you know? So it's nothing no newer than what anybody else made, but I just coined it as that because us as Detroit, and back then, you probably remember, you couldn't really associate Detroit with house music or deep house because it went, it was slide straight over to Chicago. Yeah. And no matter how I looked at it, we were never given that term house music in Detroit. So I was like, beat down. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing beat down, which yeah. is house music. Exactly. <laughs> and it worked. It's so, but it did good. We licensed it, uh, got tours, and, you know, it, it, you know, it, it had its run, you know. Now everybody's uh, doing their own thing now. 
Um, yeah, I saw Delano actually at the airport when I. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, Delano's I, been blowing up. Yeah, he, and then I think yeah. he's back because he's playing somewhere tomorrow. But yeah, I was heading in. He looked like he was heading somewhere. Yeah, he's, you know, it was like, uh, like I guess I was probably one of the first ones to start really touring because I started doing stuff with, you know, I'm part original. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> you, do the, you do this shit. Yeah. <laughs> you were there. <laughs> you know, so I, I started traveling and then at some point I wanted to. You know, come home to bring some stuff back. You know, the techno boys—they was doing their thing with their people. I'm representing house, you know, and 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 none of the house people was really out there like that. You know, I, I looked up. I'm traveling, and the only people I'm hanging out with is like my fellow house music heads from New York, California, from wherever, but not in Detroit. I would see my techno people, but none of my house people. So I was like, this is kind of off. And that was when well, I started. Well, that's weird because there's like, I mean, like, I mean, maybe he came later, but like Patrice Scott or like all Alton, was later. Alton Miller. Because I'm like, I'm thinking yeah. of all these great Detroit houses, but yeah. okay, but they were later on. Uh, you know, so, you, yeah, okay. you're talking like early 90s. You're talking about when it was just starting to kick yeah, off. Yeah, okay. Know, it it was, was still just more of a techno sound. Right. You know, it was, that, it was, or so people thought. Well, you know, the sound is the whole traveling part was so new. Um, it just kind of manifested into itself, you know. Um, when I did my first gig, I filled in for wine, actually. Santiago Chile. It was Santiago Chile. Uh, Laura Gavor, who was uh, me and his manager, uh, she called me up and asked me, did I have time to do a gig? Are you busy tonight? Yeah, are you busy tomorrow? You know, uh, can you do a gig tonight? Yes, can you like hang up for a couple of days? Laura, why, why are you asking me these questions about tomorrow and the next day about a gig? Well, the gig is in South America. I want to know, can you fly to go there to do it? And that was my very first out overseas gig. Oh you know, my god, it was, that's it was amazing! Crazy. It was crazy, and that's kind of interesting for it to be South America because I guess you always just think like, oh, like Europe, you know, because that's where the sound is. Yeah, because that was what's picking us up, you know. Especially at that point, you know. But, yeah, uh, but okay, they was on it in Chile. Yep, okay. yep. Santiago, Chile. That was my first one, and and it, it, it's always been kind of that that weird road ever since. But you know, again. My frame of mind, it was there was no celebrity. I'm DJing to be a rock star. It was not that kind of thing because it wasn't about that frame of mind. The frame of mind then was I'm about to DJ so I can show these folks how we do it in Detroit. This is how we right. spin in Detroit. And like we said, that's I think more of the problem today is more of this and a desire to be the star. Yeah. And it's like I mean honestly, if you think about it, DJs really like it's. A, we're not even really supposed to be watched. We're just playing music. You know Thank what I mean? So you. the fact that it's like Thank we're up you. there, I'm not playing a guitar. I'm not really playing drum. You know, it's like I'm literally just like pressing buttons or pulling out records or whatever. And I, mean, I get the pretty face thing or the Model S look or whatever you're trying to capture on yeah. there. Yeah. But like you said, we're not supposed to be on spot yeah it's about the Where's music but yeah. sometimes it seems like it's about the person they want to see you so bad You're it like, makes me feel so uncomfortable when i'm trying to spin oh and everyone God. is staring at my nostrils i mean i'm just trying to spin i'm over trying to catch your vibe but you like staring at me like you're trying to catch my vibe it's like yeah no, or you may be let's roll reverse yeah, or you shit. may just be tired and not really <laughs> in that mode and you're kind of just like i just want to play tracks you know and then i, I feel like when you have people just watching, engaging you. You feel like you gotta like, you know, just be, cause sometimes I'll dance and be into it, but if I'm tired, 
I'm like, fuck, I don't really want to do that. I kind of just play music. But if you have that pressure from the people, you know, you don't want to look bored because they're quick to be like, oh, you know, music was good, but there's no energy in the set. Like, what the yeah. fuck? I'm not was, up here. This ain't a dance contest for me. Thank you. I'm playing tracks. You it's know, it's so wild that they go from you once was a wall. You were once environment. You was the person who, when you were DJing, they would come in and just say hi and turn it here. Yeah, you were probably up in a corner somewhere yeah. and like didn't even nobody where they heard that your voice or whatever. Yeah. And then we went from that to being right in the middle, center stage. Being uh, recorded live all the time. Yeah, yeah you know, magazine also faces. Also pressure too. <laughs> yeah, like I, I liked it when they liked us for our, our, our studio skills. Like, you know, you was famous if you could do studio skills and, uh, you know, do all kind of stuff. But, you know, now it almost has nothing to do with studio skills. It has nothing to do with your sets. It just has everything to do with who you're associated with and or how you look. And, you know, that's cool. But, again, let's have some structure to this shit, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Because there, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talented people. And, and for me, I'm going to always push for the talent of the DJ game over the look in a profession. Because the profession itself has proven that it's not about the professional. <laughs> you know, it's about whatever you tried to make the trend. And, you know, obviously we're not, you know, part of Detroit. The name is part of the trend, but as far as the DJs themselves, if we were a part of the trend, you could name a lot of Detroit DJs from a, a, a you know standpoint. But you really can't, you know. Like you said, when you look at these magazines and you look at all these different companies, they only got a finger full of Detroit DJs. But we are the original. Um, when you have all these different uh shows how about the detroit sound there's a high possibility a lot of the djs aren't really from there some you might get one or two so you got those unstructured situations going on and then when you look at the scene itself again yes we do have a techno scene but we have a much bigger or we used to have a much bigger stronger soulful scene that needs to be embraced and to me if that happens then that can neutralize the Detroit sound with Motown, jazz, and funk and stuff that we've always been synonymized with. Yeah, exactly. Bring the balance back. Exactly, because we are, I mean... I want a t-shirt, bring yeah. the balance back. I mean, when you think about Detroit or even just DJs from Detroit, you know, it's always like, you know, they play everything, you know what I mean? You never really know what to expect in a Detroit set, you know? It's a music city and people are educated and knowledgeable. Um so, yeah, in closing, I just want to say, you know, thank you for, you know, all the contributions you have made, you know, all the records you've put out. You know, I've definitely was really excited to interview you. And I was like, this is one of the voices that I feel like more people should know about. You know what I mean? Like you were like the ambassador of Detroit, like literally, you know, I, I always say I'm like, Mike Clark, when I started finding out about DJs in Detroit, you were the main one I used to remember, I'd see you at Oslo, religiously, you know, going to Agave back then. So it's really cool to just sit down here with you and, you know, be able to hear a bit of your story. You know, not all of it, because I know we'd be here all night. You bring um, the shy out of me. So, yeah, do you want to give any, like, last-minute shout-outs or, you know, just let us know about any other uh, projects you have coming up? Oh, yeah. I want to um, do, like, a 
you know, a major shout out to, you know, one, everybody that's been a part of the scene has made it what it is now, you know, everybody, uh, you know, Seth Troxler, yourself, your sister, um, Jay Daniels, Kyle, all the, the newer generation, um, our generation, Eric Johnson, and, you know, all the girls, the girl movement. It's, it's so many people I can say it to, but, you know, yeah, yeah. more importantly, <laughs> <laughs> I want to just, you know, I want to do a shout out to Oliver Dollar. Um, Oliver Dollar, we got a new track out. Uh, it's, uh, with, with, uh, it's got Vendor Snatch and uh, my brother, Dr. Tingle Fingers. That record is on vinyl now. Um, it's called The Dream. Um, shout out to them guys. Again, uh, shout out to Lincoln. Shout out to Visa. Shout out to Guy, third year, my London people. Shout out to Connect Bookings. Uh, they uh, the first booking agency that wants to take a chance. I, I just signed with them about a week ago. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what can happen with that. All right, in the future. so y'all hear that too. You know, yep. open for Europe bookings, Mike Clark. You know, make sure you get with Connect. Yeah, please do let us know. So, yep, shout out to them, uh, Nathan, Wes, all you folks. I keep going on and on, but you know. <laughs> y'all know who you are. <laughs> yeah, y'all know who the hell y'all are. All my folks. And uh, I thank you all for supporting me. I thank everyone for, you know, making all these dreams come true for all of us. And, you know, creating an industry where you have a person that can play records and travel the world and, and, and bring music to them and, and, and make it into a field. You know, shout out to Ken Carrier, who helped all of us become who we are. Ron Hardy as well. You know, all the, the, the ones who was before us and after us. I, I like to... Say, I'd like to give a shout and a thank you for all of them who created this thing for us, which allowed us to create this thing for the newer generations and the generations to come. Mm -hmm.